Well, good morning, Crossroads. Welcome, everyone. It is an honor and it is a joy to be here with you this morning. Now, in case you are wondering to yourself, who is this lady? And am I in the right place? Let me assure you, yes, you are in the right place. And my name is Patty Santos. I am one of the pastors here at Crossroads. Actually, I'm the elementary pastor, which means that I oversee the ministry to our first through fifth graders here at the church, which reminds me, parents, if you have not had a chance yet to check out our kids' YouTube channel, you should do that. We have church online for your kids each week. We add new messages every week and we have super fun videos throughout the week. So if you want to see me go down an ice cream slip and slide, then you might want to check that out. Also, in case you didn't know, we have virtual life groups for your first through fifth graders as well. And this happens every Sunday at 11 a.m. So make sure that you take the time to check that out too. So a little bit about me is that I have been in ministry full-time for 13 years, and the last three years of my ministry, I have been blessed to be here at Crossroads. In fact, I just celebrated my three-year anniversary here last week, and it's been awesome. Now, my family and I, we love being here. This is a picture of my family. My husband, Ferdy, he's made a good, solid group of guy friends that he likes to call his homies while he's here. And my daughters, MJ and Taya, are very involved in our elementary ministry and our leaders in training ministry. And in fact, my daughter MJ is about to promote into our junior high ministry. So Pastor Steve, you better be on the lookout because MJ is coming for you. <laughs> and one other little bit of information that I think is really important for you to know. Last week, I found my first gray hair. Yep right here in the very front. And you know what? It took me 41 years to get it. And I am totally blaming homeschooling during quarantine. And I'm taking it as a sign that we really are in the end times. So, but speaking of end times, we are living in some very strange and very painful times, are we not? And I'd be lying if I wasn't to say that sometimes I just wish I could take a break from it all. Have you ever felt that way before? I mean, have you ever felt that you just wanted to take a pass or that you even deserved a pass? Like maybe you have gone through so much or you're just carrying so much weight that you just feel that whatever it is that comes next, that you deserve to get a pass from that. Or like so many things are being asked of you in this season, you know, so that the next time someone in your family even asks you to, to get a snack for them, you think, you know what? I deserve a pass on like making dinner for at least a year because of the amount of times that I've had to stop what I was doing in order to get my kid a snack. But this season that we are in, it's so frustrating and it's so painful and it's so scary and it's so filled with anxiety and it's so lonely. And that's just the quarantine part of things. I mean, I remember saying specifically a couple weeks ago, I said this to Jesus. I really did. I said, you know what, Jesus? I'm so done with all of this. I'm so just done with it. And that particular day, all I wanted to do was go to the grocery store and just walk leisurely up and down the aisles. But then even that felt hindered because I had to wear this mask. And then suddenly I was faced with this dilemma of, okay, well, 
do I, do I take the unsanitized shopping cart that this person is so kindly offering to me right now? And then, not to mention, there was this minor panic that all of the store clerks were in because suddenly they were faced with having to shut the store down early because of the citywide curfew that had been put in place. Have you ever felt like you just wanted to take a pass? Now, I bet that some of you have been taking you know, like teeny tiny passes, little ones here and there. Mention in the chat, be honest guys, if any of these scenarios even seem remotely familiar to you, all right? So maybe in this season, you have felt like you could take a pass on getting up and getting ready at this time. You know, girls like you are in your PJs all day long. Guys, you're in sweats all day long. Girls, you got your hair in the messy bun, no makeup on. Guys, you got the stubble growing in. And unless you have some kind of Zoom meeting or conference call or something of that nature, then you happen to be, you know, business on the top, but you're still chill on the bottom. Kind of like that photo there. <laughs> oh, I very much can resonate with that picture right there. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, I'm so stressed right now. And so you know what? I'm going to take a pass and I'm going to eat 10,000 M&Ms today. And I'm going to let my kids forage for food for dinner. And if they end up eating, you know, like a dry cup of noodles and cereal, then I just don't care right? And you know, times are frustrating. And many of us, we don't even know what to believe about COVID anymore. And many people have their own theories about what's really going on, right? And so maybe you feel like you should get a pass on your words this season and that you could pretty much just say whatever it is that you feel your opinion matters on in this subject. You know, like, open California or close California, wear a mask. No, 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 don't wear a mask. Hang with friends. No, don't hang with friends. Believe this doctor or that doctor. No, read this article. No, wait, that article. Or, you know, believe the CDC or Fauci or who or Google, CNN, NBC, Fox News, on and on and on and on. And maybe you're so done with all of that and you're so frustrated with it and you're tired of the social distancing and the statistics and your kids are climbing the walls. And mine actually have literally climbed my walls. I guarantee you that. And so you're like, you know what? I get a pass today. I'm taking a pass for the whole day and I'm gonna live by, it's five o'clock somewhere. And so at 10 in the morning, you're like, cheers, right? So then the question becomes, when times are hard, like they are now, do we deserve to take a pass? In some ways, sure. You know, there have been moments where I have felt just so overwhelmed and my brain felt so full that I just grabbed my running shoes and I told my family I'm taking a break and I would just head out the door for an hour for a walk or a run. But I'm gonna ask that question again. When times are tough, like they are now, does that mean that we deserve to take a pass? Does that mean that we deserve to take a pass on, on doing good, on growing in our faith in this season? Does that mean that we get to take a pass on serving our community and standing up for justice and for what is right? Does that mean that we deserve to take a pass on giving and in generosity? 
Over the past few weeks, we have been looking at a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. We refer to it as the book of 2 Corinthians in the Bible. And you know, this time has been really awesome and very fulfilling. We have learned that God can take our trials and our hurts and pains and use them to be a comfort to others. And Crossroads, we have had the chance to be a comfort to so many in this season. We're not taking a pass there. And then we've learned that we are a new creation, that we were created in Christ to do great things. And Crossroads, we've had the chance to do some really great things in this season. We're certainly not taking a pass there. And then we came across chapter 6, where Paul shares with us in a very, very relevant way about how we can live for Christ in a season of trial and hurt and pain. And we read these words. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and have gone without food. We serve God, whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing and yet we have everything. See, Paul knew what it felt like to suffer. And like Paul, our hearts ache right now. Many of you have endured sleepless nights over the last couple weeks, couple months. Some of you have gone hungry and without food. Some of you have even been slandered. And many of us right now are just tired. We're so done and we're so ready to tap out. Maybe some of you are tired of feeling like you constantly have to explain why you matter. Maybe some of you are tired of the hurt and the pain that racial injustice has placed on you and your family for years. Many of us are tired of feeling like we just can't get it right or like we can't find the right answer. And many of our police families of this church are tired of feeling like they're placed into the same bucket, the same category as the bad guy or the enemy. Are you tired and ready to just take a pass today? Paul knew what it felt like to be tired. He knew what it felt like to want to take a pass, and yet he didn't. And yet instead he shows us a way to move forward. He shows us a way into hope. And so today in chapter eight of the book of 2 Corinthians, we are going to have this opportunity to see the example of a church that didn't take a pass during hardships and trials and see how that can spur us on into love and generosity. But first, before we do that, will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you 
for today. I thank you for what you're about to show us in your word. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us as we seek to learn your truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now we're gonna take a look at verses one through seven of chapter eight. It's a little bit long, but bear with me here. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us also. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So in verses one through five, we see Paul sharing with the Corinthian church about a church in Macedonia. Now, at first, this seems pretty innocent, that it would be like us sharing about a church in our area and the good that they're doing and the way that they are serving in their communities. But actually, if you take a closer look, Paul is actually leading into something very competitive for the Corinthian church. Because you see, the areas of Macedonia and Corinth had a history of competition between the two of them. They were competitive about everything. They were competitive economically, they were competitive politically, and then you have Corinth itself that was actually just a competitive place in general. In fact, they were the host to a series of games very similar to what we would call the Olympics. And in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, he actually mentions these games and the competition that's within when he says this verse, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. But let's take a close look at verses one and two. Let's read it again. And now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. See, here we see Paul talk about two things. He talks about severe trial and he talks about grace. Now, the trial that scholars believe this Macedonian church was facing was actually severe persecution. They were being harassed by the larger religion of that area, which was polytheism. Polytheism is when you believe in multiple gods. And so this Macedonian church was actually being severely persecuted for their newfound belief in Jesus. But not only were they facing this extreme persecution, they were also facing very extreme poverty. 
The poverty here that is referred to is the same kind of poverty that we would see if we were to go visit like the slums of India or the slums of Africa. So in other words, it was extremely, extremely dirt poor. And yet we see Paul say this, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. See, we're all very familiar with that word grace, right? I mean, I might use it when I say something like, um, oh man, I've just had a really rough day. Just, can you please just give me some grace? You know, or my daughter's middle name is actually Grace. You know, and as Christians, we use the word grace to refer to that undeserved favor that we receive from God, the undeserved kindness, the undeserved forgiveness that God gives to us as believers. But Paul actually uses this word grace three different times in this very small portion of scripture because he really wants to drive home a point. You see, this word grace translates into Greek the word charis, which actually means so much more than just kindness or favor. This word charis means the disposition, the emotion of gratitude based off of the grace. So that grace that I just talked about, that it's undeserved that we receive as believers in Jesus. So it's based off of that, that is so strong and so joy-filled, so incredible that you just can't hold it back. And it just overflows and you have to express it in the form of a gift. And see, this was exactly the charis that Paul was referring to with the Macedonian church. Their love for God was so strong that despite their trial, it overwhelmed in joy and was produced in this gift that they couldn't not give. It would almost be like an equation that just doesn't make sense. If I were to say to you, two plus two equals, what would you say? I hope you said four. If you didn't say four, then we have something else we have to talk about, right? So two plus two equals four. Two plus two does not equal five. Two plus two does not equal three and a half. So if we take this logic and we make our own equation about the Macedonian church, uh, we could say that by that logic, poverty plus hardship should equal holding back or, you know, taking a pass. But see, this church in Macedonia, their equation didn't make sense. Their equation was this. Poverty plus hardship equals joy and giving overwhelmingly. Have you ever uh, met a person or a family that they really didn't have much and yet they just gave very willingly anything that they had? I've met a few people like that, and one time really stands out to me. Um, A while back, I had the opportunity to go on a trip with a church um, to another country. And we had to travel very far. We had to take two airplanes. We flew all through the day. We flew all through the night. And then when we finally got there, we hopped in a car, and we drove for hours until we came to the area we were going to serve in, which was like deep in a mountainous region of this particular country. Now, when we got there, I noticed that the families there, by our terms, seemed to have next to nothing. 
Their homes were really nothing more than just clay structures with thatched roofs. Their bathrooms were outside clay structures that were open. <laughs> they had no roofs and they were just, uh, you know, had a shared pot of water in there. Many of them had just a string of lights that kind of connected between one location to another. And lots of people had like goats and chickens living inside their houses with them. But these people were so gracious. And they couldn't wait to share with us what little they had. They were excited to share with us their food. They were excited to even allow us to sleep in their beds. And many of them actually gave financially to the ministry that we were there to support. See, this Macedonian church that Paul is referring to was like that. In verses three through five of what we just read, we see that not only did they give, but they actually begged to give. They couldn't wait to give. And we see that they gave in more ways than one. First, they gave to the Lord, like a tithe. So a tithe is when you believe that the first 10% of your income should go straight back to God. Usually it's in the form of giving it to the church that you belong to. But then not only did the Macedonian church do that, but we saw that they gave to Paul also. And so that was like an offering. You see, this Macedonian church, they determined what they were going to give, and then they gave more on top of that out of their severe trial and poverty because of their joy. Two plus two equaled five for that church. Now, Crossroads, I know that we are in really, really tough times. And many of you actually have probably experienced some really difficult financial hardship in this season. Some of you are small business owners and your business has suffered in this season. Some of you have maybe even lost your job in this time. Some of you have even taken a pay cut. And actually my family falls into that last category. My husband has taken a pay cut in this season as well. And I remember the day that he came out of uh, his makeshift home office to tell me that he had received the call that he was taking a pay cut during this time. And in that moment, I should have felt extreme anxiety, right? Especially since just a short time ago, we actually had already lost one full income that he had. See, he had a contracted position plus this full-time position. And in December, that contracted position, it just ended abruptly. So we were already down one full income. So for him to tell me that we were receiving a pay cut, I should have felt anxiety, but I didn't. I actually felt this extreme peace. And Ferdy, my husband, he actually felt thankful because he shared with me that in that phone call, he fully expected to be let go due to COVID, but instead he was only receiving a pay cut. And so he was thankful that he had his job. Now I've been married for 19 years. I know I don't look old enough, <laughs> even though I did get that one gray hair, right? Um, I've been married for 19 years and my husband and I have walked through job loss before. And 
Those seasons of job loss were met with anxiety, an extreme uh, feeling of being strapped, super feelings of being overwhelmed. And even though we had faith and we had trust that God was going to provide, and believe me, he did in really amazing ways, but we were so weighed down. And I'm gonna be just totally, completely honest with you right now. I can only attribute the difference between then and now, because I had faith in both times, anxious versus not being anxious, is that in the in-between period of those job losses and now, we worked really, really hard to get ourselves out of debt. It was probably one of the hardest things that I've done. It took years, lots and lots of tears too, uh, mainly on my part, right? But I'm so grateful to my husband because he had this vision of not having debt and allowing us to not feel strapped. And so we worked really hard to get there. Now, if that is something you desire, we actually offer the Financial Peace University class. It is by Dave Ramsey and we offer it here at Crossroads Church. That is the class that we took to get ourselves out of debt. Now, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. Am I my husband knows this. I'm going to tell you a little secret. I actually don't like Dave Ramsey. <laughs> he drives me nuts. However, his principles work. And if you follow them, then you too can be out of debt. See, the thing is, is that God has done a huge work in my heart and in the heart of my husband in regards to financial stability and as well in regards to giving. See, we weren't brought up with the idea of giving. I mean, we weren't taught about tithing. We weren't taught about how to do that. In fact, for us, giving was like, you know, if we went to church and the offering plate came by, we dug into our pockets or whatever and found whatever change we had. As a kid, I used to get excited if my dad would give me like a $5 bill to put in. As an adult, I would be excited. Oh, hey, I have a 20, great. That's awesome, I feel great. But God has really taught us what it actually looks like to tithe and to give. And I'm so grateful because in this season of hardship, even for us as a family, we have been able to continue to tithe. And there have been times in the last few months where the Lord has been able to give us the opportunity to give above our tithe. And for that, I am so incredibly grateful. But Paul, he wants something for the Corinthian church. And so we see this in verse seven. He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So he's calling the Corinthian church to also excel in the abundant grace of giving like the Macedonian church. But then he decides to take it a little further and just up the game just a little bit by saying this. I kind of imagine him saying it like this. Look, guys, I'm not commanding you but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. In the New Living Translation, it says, test the genuineness of your love. See, Paul is saying that this Macedonian church, that their love was so sincere and so genuine that it was matched by the way they gave. And it actually reminds me of something that we see Jesus say that's recorded in the book of Matthew where Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul is asking the Corinthian church, where is your treasure? 
Where is your heart? And that's a great question for us to ask ourselves as well. Where is our treasure? Where is our heart? I mean, if we were to take a look over our patterns of giving, would it show that we had hearts for God? Or would it show that our treasure and our heart is for something else or for ourselves? But then, like I said, Paul ups the game and he then says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that through his poverty, you might become rich. There's that word grace again. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, we see this, for the joy set before him, referring to Jesus, he endured the cross. Jesus had the grace. Jesus had the charis, that joy. He had the joy that overwhelmed so much in him that it presented itself as the gift of him dying a criminal's death on the cross for us. And do you want to know what that joy that he had was? The joy that he had that was set before him, that joy was you. That joy was me. The very thought of us was the joy that kept Jesus going and allowed him of all people to not take a pass. In the book of Philippians chapter two, we see this verse, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. You see, Jesus did not take a pass. And when he came to this earth as a man, he literally gave up every single privilege that he had as God in heaven to show us the way to live, the way to love others, and the way to God through him. Paul was showing that Jesus was to be our ultimate example of life and how to love others. But Paul also wanted to show that everything that the Corinthians had came from God to them. Everything that belonged to them came to God and from his hand. And actually at Crossroads, we firmly believe the same thing. We might work really hard for our money, but we believe that God is the one who hands it down to us. And in the Old Testament, in one of my most favorite verses in 1 Chronicles, we see this. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Now pay attention to this. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hands, and at your discretion, people are made great 
and are given strength. But then Paul continues on. And we see in verse 10 that he says this, last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. All right, Paul, (laughs) you're making it personal now, right? He's making it personal to their situation by telling them, hey guys, last year, last year you guys were in first place. He's appealing to that competition nature that the Corinthians have. Last year, you guys were in first place, not only to actually give, but in the desire to do so. But something came, something came and distracted the Corinthian church from what they had set out to do. Where are we being distracted? You know, life has a great way of doing that, doesn't it? In the beginning of 2020, we were all distracted by things like actually going to work and actually getting up in the morning and getting ready and heading out to school and all of the homework and projects and this thing with friends and that thing with friends and sports and this event and this dance recital and this rehearsal. And then all of that was taken away. And then we became distracted by fear and anxiety and loneliness and suffering and hurt, and I wouldn't be surprised if it caused some of us to want to take a pass. But now I actually wonder if some of you might be thinking, you know what, (laughs) this guy Paul, like, come on, dude, how much are you gonna ask this Corinthian church to give, right? Like, that's all you want from them. You just want them to give their money. You just want them to give to God. Come on, Paul. And you're pulling out all the stops, right? He's using every tactic. It can really seem that way. I mean, the first tactic that he used was competition between them and the Macedonian church. Then he moved on to reminding them of what Jesus had done for them. And that should have been enough. But then he even even throws in more competition by allowing them to remember that they were at one time in first place. But see what Paul was doing, well, he was actually extrinsically motivating this Corinthian church to an intrinsic heart change. So to be extrinsically motivated, that's extrinsically. Extrinsically means that you are motivated by something that is outside of you. So in other words, you might be motivated to perform well at your job in hopes of getting uh, some kind of reward or a promotion. You might be motivated by accolades that you might be received or a scholarship that you could get for the college you're trying to go to. Now, intrinsic motivation is when you are motivated by something from within yourself that leads you to accomplish what you're setting out to do. Now, extrinsic motivation is actually a really great tool. Uh, We actually use extrinsic motivation a lot in kids' ministry. Um, See this box of M&Ms right here? First of all, just side note, peanut butter M&Ms are like the best ever. I like the Reese's Pieces mini ones too, but peanut butter M&Ms are just as good. (laughs) But kids really respond well to the extrinsic motivation of candy, okay? So take, for example, my daughter's life group leader, Becca, she decided to extrinsically motivate her group to read the Bible. So she told her virtual life group that if they spent every day of that next week 
reading their Bible. And if they wrote down a verse that they read, they could use the Bible app, they could use their actual Bible, but they needed to write down the verse that they read. And if they showed her at their next virtual life group meeting, their list of all the verses that they read that week that she would do an at-home delivery of their favorite candy. Let me tell you, my friends, the extrinsic motivation in my house was very real. But see, here's the thing. We extrinsically motivate, we might use candy, but our our goal, our purpose is not just to give them candy for doing a good deed. Our goal is that by extrinsically motivating them to be in God's word, that they would develop an intrinsic motivation, a desire to be in God's word, to know what God wants for them, to seek out him in their life and to take the next steps of their faith on their own. And as a pastor and as a mom, there is nothing more amazing than seeing children begin to understand the love God has for them and to take steps on their own to grow in their faith and to follow him. And on May 30th of this year, my family got the chance to see just that. See, my daughter Taya had been begging for like a year to get baptized. And we offer a class here at Crossroads for parents and their kids on baptism and what it means. And my daughter pretty much took that class almost every time I taught it. Probably, I think she took it like three, maybe even four times. And over this season, we actually did a Bible uh, baptism class uh, over Zoom for parents and kids. And so I was about to teach the class and all of a sudden here comes my daughter pulling up a chair, wanting to sit next to me and do the Zoom class. And in that Zoom class, she was so excited. And after the class was over, she was chatting with me and a couple other people, Pastor Lauren on the chat. And she was so excited about when do I get to be baptized mom and where can I get baptized mom? And my husband and I realized that it was her time. And so even in the midst of all of this craziness, we packed up our stuff and we headed out to the beach and we got to see my daughter get baptized. And there is a picture of it. You can give thumbs up in the chat. I'm sure a lot of you are clapping in the chat. (laughs) That was an amazing day. And mostly the reason why it was amazing was because my daughter on her own had gone from extrinsic motivation to intrinsic motivation. She wanted to be baptized, to show others how much she loved Jesus and that she wanted to follow him for her life. And she even told me that she wanted others to know that even as a kid, you can make a decision to follow Jesus. Paul says in verses 13 through 14, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. See, Paul wasn't just asking the Corinthian church to give for giving's sake. He had a whole goal in mind. That goal was for the benefit of the entire church and also for them. See, Paul loved this Corinthian church so much 
that he didn't want them to miss out on what it was that the Macedonian church had. He didn't want them to miss out on that love, on that charis, on that joy, on that feeling of abundant living and growing and giving and grace, no matter the circumstances. And that was why Paul was so hard pressed to get them to give. Now, this crossroads is for us today too. I mean, let's imagine right now that we are this Corinthian church and that Paul is speaking directly to us, asking us, where is our heart? Where is our treasure? And we are asking ourselves now, where have I felt like I just wanted to tap out and give up? Now, I want to encourage you though, because over the last few weeks, over the last few months, Crossroads, you have stayed. You have shown perseverance and you have shown that you weren't tapping out and that you weren't taking a pass. Let me share with you just a couple ways where you have done that. When all of this first started, many of you jumped in and started helping in our food pantry. And many of you gave a dollar extra than you would normally give in order to bless and help those in our community and in the world beyond. Over this course of time, you have been feeding more than 200 families every week in our food pantry, and we are still going forward. Many of you, through your $1 extra, you have built roofs and repaired roofs on homes. You have rebuilt cars so that people could get where they needed to go. You have provided rent for families so they could keep living. You have given iPads to those in the COVID ward of a local hospital so they could continue to communicate with their families. You have given school supplies and computers and printers to families in need so that their kids could keep going to school. You even helped local businesses. And by helping those local businesses, you served our disabilities community and our elderly community. By and large, if we were to look at the last few months, we would see crossroads that we have not tapped out. But now, I have to say, let us keep going forward. Now is not the time to take a pass. Because you see, through all of this, even though we might be feeling weary or drained, God has actually called us to step out. He has called us to be the hands and feet to his community. He has called us to show love and justice and mercy to those who are hurting, to those who are suffering, and to those who are marginalized. Now is the time to keep moving forward and to not take a pass. Paul leaves the Corinthian church with this last thought when he says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. I challenge us today as a people and as a church to finish the work that God has set out in front of us to do. We as a church crossroads will not take a pass on that. But some of you today might actually be wondering, not just why Paul would do this, but the heart behind it. See, Paul not only wanted that grace for this church and for us as well, 
but he wanted us to know the source of that grace, which is Jesus. As I mentioned before, Jesus did not take a pass. Out of the joy that he had of thinking of us, he went to the cross. And it is because of that that we are able to have that charis, that joy. And if you feel today as though you're lacking that charis, you're lacking that joy, and it is something that you desperately want to have, that you want to have that relationship with Jesus, you want to say yes to him, because only through that relationship with Jesus is it even possible to have a joy like Paul said in one of the first scriptures we read, that they had joy even though they had nothing. The only way to have that is because of the love that Jesus has for us. And so today I'm going to give you an opportunity to make that decision to have that joy by trusting Jesus with your very life. Now, as we do that, if you just even want that, if that is even a desire to you, you can start out by texting amen to 69922. But I am gonna first pray. I'm gonna pray two different prayers. The first prayer I'm gonna pray is just a prayer for those of you who may be on the fence. You're not sure, but you know you want something different. You know that you need to feel valued valued by our heavenly father, valued by the love that God has for you. And so first I'm gonna pray that. And then if you have decided in that time that you want to make a decision to follow Jesus with your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me to make that happen. So let's go before God right now. Lord, Thank you for your love for us. I pray right now for the family that is sitting at home that's watching through their television screen and they have felt anxiousness and they have felt fear and they have felt confusion and they don't know what's next for them or where to go or what to do. I pray for that family to make a decision to turn to you to make a decision to know that you are the only way, the only source for that charis and that joy. I pray, Lord, for the person that is feeling so not valued right now. They're feeling lonely. They're feeling like no one really cares for them. They're feeling like there's no one out there that understands what it is that they're going through and they feel like they have to constantly explain that. I pray that they would come to you and that they would feel that amazing love that you have specifically just for them. And anyone else, Lord, that is on the fence and they're not sure what they want to do, I pray they would surrender their hearts right now, that your Holy Spirit would touch them and move in them to make a decision to know without a doubt that you love them, that you care about them, and that you want them to know you. And now I'm going to give you an opportunity if you would like to pray 
If you want that joy, that charis that only comes because of a relationship with Jesus, I encourage you to pray this right now with me. You can pray it out loud. You can pray it in your heart. If you have someone there with you, encourage them to pray with you. And we are going to pray with me today. Jesus, I want that grace that you have for me. I learned today that it is only because you died on a cross for me that you thought of me when you did that. And that means that you love me. Forgive me for where I have not measured up. Forgive me for thinking I can do it on my own. I can't do it on my own. I need you, Jesus. So please come into my life and lead me and guide me into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, amen, my friends. Don't forget, if you prayed that prayer, please text amen to 69922. See, there's something that really changes when you make your decision known. Plus, we want to follow up with you. We want to be able to connect with you. But when you make the decision that you just made known, it actually solidifies it. So don't forget to text amen to 69922. Well, friends, it has been a joy and an honor to be with you this morning.